Today is uh, Shabbos night, but we just passed, uh, Wednesday was July 4th. Now July 4th, we know, fundamentally is the birthday of America. July 4th is uh, the signing, historically, of the Declaration of Independence uh, in Philadelphia. And that is considered, even astrologically, by the way, as the birthday of America. What is interesting, and you will see, is the question is, what is the Hashkofa implications of July 4th? That may be an odd question. Hashkofa implications. What does July 4th have to do with the Declaration of Independence, have to do with Hashkofa or Judaism, you know? But that's not true, as we will see in a minute. The two greatest tragic events in world history, what are they? There's only two of them. I mean, there are many tragic events. But the greatest tragic events in world history based on Judaism is, the first one is the sin of Adam Harishim. Because Adam Harishim had till Shabbos. He was created about 12 o'clock on Friday, the sixth day. And he had um, until Shabbos not to eat from the tree. Of course, we know he did. Uh, but had he not eaten from the tree, <coughs> Uh, then he would have been the Mashiach, you see, and he would have brought down the Messianic light. We would have been born anyway to him and to Chava, but in a state of what's called rectification or Tikkun. And that would have been the end of the world, which is amazing. I mean, the whole history of the planet would only be Adam Rishon and Chava, right, or whatever. And at sundown, which is Shabbos, that would have been it. Over. Right? So when he sinned, what did he do? He radically changed the entire world. The redemption itself was failed, you see. He fell from a height of which we cannot even, uh, he failed from a height from which we cannot even comprehend how great he was. In fact, he was so great that the Malochim thought they started singing Shira song to him because they thought he was God. Could you imagine what this man was? So he fell from that height to a regular person. So we, we cannot even comprehend that type of fall, which was absolutely incredible. So therefore, in world history, in world history, that is considered the, that is considered the, the, the first and the, actually the greatest tragedy in human history. It's interesting. I mean, they wouldn't look at it that way. But based on the Hashkofa of Judaism and so on, that is the greatest tragedy in the history of the world. The second greatest tragedy in the history of the world, again, was the 17th day of Tammuz. Shivas Tammuz, Yud Zayin Tammuz. That was the second greatest tragedy of all. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was really the Mashiach ben Yosef. And what happened is that the Jews had gone to Egypt, as I had mentioned quite a while ago, and they had done the tikkun through suffering, basically. So therefore, they were about to receive the Mashiach, who was Moshe Rabbeinu, in a tremendously rectified situation. And when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Sinai, Mount Sinai, he came down with the first tablets, the Luchas Rishonis. The Luchas Rishonis, as I mentioned a long time ago, was the Orishan, was the Messianic light, the Orhagonis, the Messianic light. 
And that's what Chazal allude to that when they say that if you looked at them, you don't have to turn them over to the read the other side. You can read both sides from one angle. In other words, what does that mean? It means you can look at one side and see completely to the total depth of the other side. In other words, there was no obstruction required at all in order to read the, the, the two luchas. And that is the symbolic concept of the Orushim. So those two tablets represent the spiritual force of a messianic light that is now coming down to Jews. Because Moshe Rabbeinu would have been Sheikh bin Yosef, and those two luchas would have been the messianic light. What happened, of course, is the Jews sinned with the Cheto Egel, the sin of the golden calf, and God told Moshe, Lech, go down, raid. He just should have said, go, uh, uh, Lech, go. But he said, go and descend, which means you cannot be Mashiach bin Yosef. Because the Jewish people no longer can, uh, they're not worthy, of course, of the redemption. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu took the luchas and he shattered them at the bottom of the mountain. And that was the end of the messianic attempt. It could have occurred even with that, but the, the, test, the, test, the test of the maraglim, the spies, ended the possibility. And in any case, so what do we see? Is that these two incidents, Adam Rishon sinning, and the Jewish people doing the sin of the golden calf, they destroyed the incredible opportunity of Mashiach coming, the messianic light being revealed, and that would have been the redemption of the entire Jewish people. And therefore, without any hesitation, to stop the redemption is the greatest tragedy in human history. Okay. What does this all mean? Uh, and of course, the second uh, the uh, happened in Lucas Vishonis, uh, when it shattered, it was shattered on Yud Zayin Thomas, Shivasubh Thomas, the 17th day of Thomas, which of course, this was just uh, a couple of sun two Sundays ago, whatever, or even this Sunday, whatever. And um, that's what it signifies. July 4th, July 4th of 1776, which is the birthday of the United States. What was the Hebrew date? The Hebrew date was Shiva Sabatamus. Isn't that interesting? It was the 17th day of Tammuz. Now, was this an accident? Wow. I mean, July 4th, which is the beginning of American history, America, happens on a day of such incredible tragedy, right? And, uh, and the fact that the Mashiach was stopped from coming? No. Why? What does it mean? Because the signing of the Declaration of Independence uh, was the, the overturning of the day of Shivas Batamas. In other words, that day was the beginning of America, and America will be the Toiv Shebe Esav, the good part of Esav. That's when it began. Because the role of America in the end, <coughs> which I've said many times, is the concept of <coughs> Esav or Edoim, doing tshuva, and being part of the Tikkun process, you see. But it takes a long time, of course, until America evolves. You have to go from the colonial days, you know, and just a bunch of 13 colonies, you know, until America becomes the greatest world power. <clears throat> and it takes time, <clears throat> you see. But the interesting thing is that the founding of America began on the day of the greatest tragedy in human history because that was the beginning of the end, the beginning in a certain sense of the redemption itself. 
It's just like they say, Tishabov, the Mashiach will be born on Tishabov. Right? Why Tishabov? Because Tishabov was the destruction of the temple. So that day itself will be the beginning of redemption with the birth of Mashiach from David. You see, that's what always happens, you see. <clears throat> that on the very day that it was destroyed, on that very day the redemption begins. You see, so that's the concept of July 4th. And because of that, because it's the beginning of the Toif Shebe'eso, which, you know, there's a whole history which I've already spoke about very extensively, you see. <clears throat> Therefore, it's interesting to watch America grow. There's no question about that, that America has been the recipient of incredible divine providence. You see that throughout its history, you see, <clears throat> that it's been in many ways successful, even though it's had many adversaries, it has, it's a land of tremendous natural resources. You see, it's a land also of fairness, the Bill, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. You see, these things are outstanding in American history. And Americans, in many ways, they're good people. You know, they're very decent, very good people. And even enemies know that if they have, they have to be caught by anybody, they'd rather be caught by an American. Because they know they'll get a fair treatment. That's what Americans are. You know, they, they have a certain amount of rugged individualism. Uh, it used to be anyway. Now it's all about handouts, entitlements. But it used to be that, right? And individualism, they took pride in, in, in their work. And, you know, and they, had, they, were, they, they were very self-sufficient, independent. You know, and a lot of laws are governed on that. Even the right to bear arms, guns, is because Americans, they don't want to rely on government. You want, I, hey, I'll protect myself. Don't tell me, don't come tell me you're going to protect me. Because of course we know you're not. Because government is so inefficient, it's absurd. As we see what happened when uh, Katrina came, the government was basically absent for a long time. Uh, so a lot of laws come from this incredible self-sufficiency, independence of will, you know, and, and, the, uh, and just the, the know-how how to grasp opportunities to really grow. And God has been very good to America. In fact, America has never witnessed a, a, an attack, except now recently, on its soil. You know, every country has had a war on its soil, but America basically has never had that. 9-11 was the first time in the history of America, basically, as far as I know, that America had that. You see, so America, in many sense, uh, has been blessed. It's a blessed country. And in fact, that's why it says, in God, in, in God we bless, you know, um, what? what? In God we trust. In God we trust. But uh, America is, in many ways, a blessed country. Why? Because it is the Toif Shebe'esov. That's why. In fact, even Abraham Lincoln said, which I once quoted, America is the last great hope of mankind. Why? Because America is a very good country. It's decent. It's fair. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 there's no an enormous amount of, uh, of, uh, of a tyranny. America doesn't have tyranny. It doesn't mean th that there weren't attempts at it. Of course there were. But by and large, America is a great country to live in. It's probably the, it is, the, no question, the best country in the world in the world to live in. No question about that. That's why so many people are trying to get into it, the immigration problem, and so on, because it's a great country. And I'm not even talking about the main ideas, which is called liberty, you know, uh, the, uh, the ability to own property. There's so many great things about America. Therefore, God is very watchful over America. Now, that not only comes to God, what God has blessed America with, you know, economic uh, prosperity and all that, but also, hey, you step out of line, I'm going to whack you. 
you see, because I don't want any prosecutions against America. And that's why many things happened to America that look bad, but really it was to straighten out America where there wouldn't be heavenly, <coughs> heavenly prosecutions. And therefore America wouldn't be roy, fit to do its job. One of the classic, which I had mentioned a long time ago, was the Civil War. Why did the Civil War happen? You know, it's interesting. Yeah, historians will tell you, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know. But the truth is, America was in a terrible danger. What was the danger? Slavery. Um, they, they had legitimatized slavery, you know, and, and, and uh, slavery, and w what was wrong with slavery? It's kidnapping. It's not like a guy in the, in the terror where it says uh, slavery, because the guy comes over to you and says, listen, I'm broke, I need money, let me sell myself to you. He's basically a laborer. You know, indentured servant is basically a laborer, right? Let me sell myself to you for a certain amount of time, and you'll pay me, you know, whatever the labor is and so on. So slavery is basically voluntary. Only in the sense if somebody, for instance, steals and he can't pay back the guy he stole from, the victim, right? Then the court, there's a Jewish guy, court has a right to sell him into slavery, but again, in order to pay the debt. But other than that, basically, the way you become a slave or an indentured servant, whatever, is because you, you, know, you, you, uh, you, oh, you, have, you don't have money and, and so on. And it's voluntary. Slavery in America was kidnapping. They were kidnapping blacks again and again, which is incredible. And we know that the sentence for kidnapping in the Torah is death. So it comes out that America is Chayv Misa. So God had to solve the problem. And God did solve the problem. He said, what I'm going to do is give you death through the Civil War. So all of a sudden you had hundreds of thousands of people dying because in order to atone for the fact that they were guilty of slavery, which is a death sentence. You see, so that's one thing. Second thing which is very interesting, in 1929 there was a terrible disaster known as the Depression. You know, and it's interesting to think to oneself, why did the Depression happen from a, from a heavenly standpoint? I don't mean from an economic standpoint, you know, there's always re reasons for that. But the Depression was terrible. 25, maybe 30% were unemployed. I mean, if you remember, see pictures of the Depression, long lines, you know, it, it was terrible. Nobody, people weren't making a living or whatever. But it is my belief that the reason why the Depression happened, because of another sin that America did. See, the problem is that America is the Tevsha base of the good part of Esav, therefore it, it's, it's accountable for its responsibilities. The problem was, I believe, is Israel. Because in, 18, uh, in 1917 you had the Balfour Declaration, which is the credit of England, that you can now have Eretz Israel, right? And this was signed by the San Remo Conference. Uh, if I remember correctly, it took place in 1923. It was legalized in that conference that Israel would secure, right, not only Israel, but the whole Jordan, everything. What happened, right, by the League of Nations, it was legalized. What happened? Along comes England and commits an incredible act of evil where they took four-fifths of Israel and they gave it to Jordan and they said, well, we'll leave you something west of the, of the uh, Yardin, the Jordan. I'm going, which is an incredible act of evil because the nations of the world signed off on that, based on the League of Nations, that they could have Israel. What should have America have done is immediately protested. 
You know, what is this? Even though they were not part of the League of Nations, you see, but still they should have protested. They, you can't do this. It's legal that they now have the entire Jordan and Israel, and you guys are not, are, are not adherent to that. Even though America never joined the League of Nations. So America did nothing. So in a certain sense, but remember, because America is the Tev Shebeisav, therefore they have responsibilities. So God said, listen, you want to destroy a major part of Israel, you know, and as a result of that, who knows all the tremendous problems that the Jews now have in Israel because of that. Therefore, I will destroy you economically. And I believe that's why, that was the punishment, which again, uh, is a kitrug, is a prosecution against America. Then of course World War II, which is, and Britain was responsible totally for allowing the Arabs to immigrate to Israel because they wanted the oil and therefore they wanted a curry favor with the Arabs, Jordan and Saudi Arabia and so on. So what they did is they prevented the Jews with white paper from actually coming to Israel while they were being killed by the Nazis, which is incredible. That's, that's in, a, that, that, in other words, they are contributing to the murder of the Jewish people. That's essentially what they did. You know, so what did God do in England? He destroyed it. You know, I mean, the bombing over London. I mean, it, it, it was incredible what happened to England. That was the first terrible punishment that he gave. Second thing, and it's only because of God's mercy, Dunkirk. There were thousands of guys trapped, and they were finished. And somehow they escaped, and that itself is one of the biggest miracles of the war. Because in some sense, he had Rachmanus, compassion on England, because in the future they would have a major Jewish settlement, hundreds of thousands of Jews living there. But the real thing he did is he destroyed their ability to be a world power. England is not a world power. I don't care what they think about themselves. You know, it's a socialist country, basically. You know, it's no longer world power. Remember the saying used to be, the sun never sets over an English colony? Which is true. The time of Queen Victoria was incredible. England, wherever you went, there was somebody English uh, facing you, you know? That's the concept of the British Commonwealth. All these countries used to be part of England. So God cut that from them because they don't deserve to be a world power. But they don't understand it's a tremendous punishment and, and so on, you know? So what we see is that God looks out for his people and he will not fail to punish nations especially America, because they are destined to do a great job for Eretz Yisrael, for Klai Yisrael, for the Jewish people, you know? And even lately what you see is really very interesting. In, uh, since Reagan, every president that in some way injures Israel is punished, severely, you see. Start off with Reagan, you know, Reagan was not good for Israel, you know? And really what was terrible, he went to a German cemetery that you had Nazis, SS guys, being buried there. And he went there, whatever, and so on. Which is really, how do you do that, you know? So it's interesting, which is unfortunate, tragic in some, in some sense. So Reagan suffered terribly from Alzheimer's for years. He must have had like 20 years, and so on. Uh, and he, and, and unfortunately, tragically, it was a terrible punishment for, punishment for him. Again, because uh, you can't do that to the Jewish people. Then you had Bush. You know, in 1991, with the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the uh, Saddam Hussein. So God punished him, why? Because he actually supported, he, he took away the $10 billion loan guarantees 
for you know because uh, and he and he supported whatever uh, the the Arab and so on. Uh, how do you do something like that? So God punished them, right? What's the greatest punishment you can do to a president? You don't give him a second term. It's a busha. That's really what it is. And he had a tremendous popularity rating. He was like something like 88% before the war. And the guy lost to, he lost to Clinton. Of all people to lose to, he lost to Clinton. You know, It's a tremendous punishment. He's riding high, and all of a sudden he, he loses the second presidency. So that's his punishment. Then we come to Clinton, you know, Bill Clinton, you know, it's incredible. He's inviting Arafat. Arafat is killing Jews, right? The PLO, Arafat, and so on. And this guy does nothing. What's he doing? And meanwhile, he's got Arafat. Arafat he invited Arafat more often than any other statesman to the Blair House or whatever it was, you know. What is this? He never confronted once the violations of the agreement, the Oslo agreement that Arafat did. So he was punished with you know what? With a scandal that destroyed him, destroyed his reputation, and so on, you know? That's his oinish. Then you have Bush the son, right? Also, he's always telling Israel to restrain themselves, and meanwhile, there's an enormous amount of buses being blown up. How do you tell a country to restrain itself? Would you restrain America from attacking some other country that's killing its citizens? Of course not. So where do you get the nerve to do that so God punished him what was his punishment is the fact that the, econ the economy collapsed under his watch and it was his fault because he knew about the mortgage business that it was destroying you know that people couldn't pay back, pay back the derivatives people could not pay back their loan so therefore what happened is America almost collapsed that was a terrible thing again so he was also destroyed and of course last of course is Obama and he's being destroyed by Trump. All his legislation is being ripped up in its face and there's nothing he can do. And he realizes that, you know, that is a terrible punishment for a president to watch. His whole legacy is gone, you see. So we notice something, that God is very, very vengeful, or I hate to use that word, but very, very, uh, um, active in terms of making sure that America can properly do what it has to do. And then of course along comes Trump and all of a sudden that begins the real Tev Shebe'esav. You see. But Trump has to be careful. Tell you this interesting idea. There's a whole now, there's a whole uh, disturbance because of immigration. Because you know these guys are coming from South America, Central America, trying to break into America and so on. You know question is what does all this mean so it looks like well that that's what happened that's the politics of the day but if you think about it it's a warning just like North Korea God all of a sudden this guy Kim Jong-un starts making you know threats it's ridiculous how can you make a threat against the United States what motivated him because he had no free will he's threatening the United States because God has to teach uh, uh, Trump hey you need to understand what an existential threat is what's the existential threat Right? Israel with Iran. You need to stop Iran. So it's a warning to, it is a warning to Trump. And by showing them what an existential threat is, it is a warning, be careful. You need to stop Iran, which fortunately, of course, he did. But again, all these things are basically warnings. Uh, what is this warning about immigration? 
Why is all of a sudden he suffering from this whole business of immigration? Because if you think about it, it's a warning. What's the warning? The peace plan that the U.S. wants to propose. What is the peace plan? The peace plan basically is a two-state solution. So what God is saying to him, excuse me, the Arabs are immigrants. You know, you need to understand what it means, what an immigrant can do to a country. You need to understand what that means and how negative it could be. So God is showing him all those people trying to get into America, right? And he's trying to stop it, to tell him, do not let people who are not part of a country and therefore have no legal right to be here, unless it's real, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, uh, asylum. You can't do this. And hopefully he will get the message and he'll realize the land of Israel does not belong to the Arabs. It is the same invasion that the America is experiencing, right? Don't let it happen to my people, to my country, Israel. The Jews, historically and biblically and legally, Israel is theirs. Just because the Arabs are creating a lie that everybody seems to absorb or believe in, and part of that is because that's the anti-Semitism of the nations against the Jews. You know, they know, let the Arabs in, and don't worry, the Arabs will kill them all. They know that, and so on. But if you look at it legally, historically and biblically, how do you let the Arabs in? Two-state solution is absurd. It cannot exist anyway, you see. So therefore, be careful. You understand what an immigrant is and how it's terribly negative consequences? You cannot have a two-state solution. This is what I believe is happening. But on the other side, there are many good things. Look what God is doing. He's helping Trump. All of a sudden, Kennedy is resigning. So he now has the opportunity not just to appoint a second Supreme Court justice, more important, the guy, he's gonna appoint a guy who's an arch conservative. So he's gonna now incline the court to conservatism, right, for decades. Because you now have five conservatives and four liberals. So what God is doing is assisting him in that sense, you see. So you, 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 you constantly find this, that he has all kinds of you know, warnings, on the same time, God is helping him to achieve what he has to achieve. And I believe, of course, that the midterm elections, of course, will enable him to really do what he has to do. Now, one of the things he really did, which is incredible, he, they left, the U.S. left the Human Rights, uh, UN Human Rights Commission. And he didn't, what? Council. Council, whatever. It's all the same nonsense. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, if you ever look, did you ever look on who's in, on this commission or council? It's unbelievable. Every, in fact, the requirement to get onto this council is you have to violate human rights. <laughs> and so, we should take a look. Look, it's on that. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it's like every enemy of mankind is on that that council. I mean, this guy, this guy is normal. I mean, when they wake up in the morning, do they take this seriously? You know. <clears throat> That's probably the one of the questions on the, uh, the one of the questions on the questionnaire. You know, have you violated human rights lately? <laughs> oh, you have. Oh, you you come on. You remember? You know, you haven't. I'm sorry. You just stay off. It's absurd what's on that council. Human rights. You know, it's uh, you know, it wasn't so funny. Be tragic. But the interesting thing about America, <clears throat> which is all part of America's mission. <clears throat> is they left the council because of Israel. Not because of their own self-interest, because of the interests of Israel. We refuse to watch while you bash Israel. 
It's murdered tzchus. It's a sanctification of the name of God and the name of his people. You see? So you've got this kind of duality. But it all stems from the fact that America is destined, that's their mission, to assist the Jews to do their tikkun, and therefore they must protect Israel from the entire world, which is something that I've said a long time ago. And this will continue. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, that he will win significantly the midterm elections, and therefore he will get rid of, clean up the FBI, the DOJ, get rid of Mueller, Sessions, all these guys, and make, make uh, the whole government much more, uh, less corrupt, and much more righteous, which is really what he has to do. And he's obviously just waiting for the midterm elections. Anyway, uh, this is what we see, uh, and that's the concept or the significance, what I said, of July 4th. The reason why it happened on the Shivas of Thomas, July 4th, 1776, that's when it happened, which is amazing, is because the Toiv Shiba Esav, destined to help the Jews, right? This is the Tshuva of Esav, the repentance of Esav. It was born on that day, Shivas of Thomas, 1776. That's the Hashkofa of Independence Day, July 4th. Okay, so much for, uh, uh, I think I wanted to end off, because I'm leaving Ferret Israel, uh, at least an understanding of what's happening in current events, and again, the significance of who America is. And what is interesting, I find, which I said a long time ago, is that Putin, in a certain way, has to help or assist Trump together to, to, to uh, protect Israel. And in many ways, Putin is doing that. I mean, think about that. They had a parade in Moscow, right? The parade is a significant parade in Russian history. It was a victory in World War II, right? And who does Putin invite to be at the center of the parade? Netanyahu, which is beyond belief. You know, would you ever believe that Brezhnev would have invited a Jew to be at the center of the parade? Yeah, he probably would have had the body of a Jew, which he murdered to show that we are victorious e even over Judaism. But to invite, and it was just incredible, you know? Because that's what Putin, in the sense of, this is Putin, as I mentioned, you know, really in many ways helping and assisting the Jews. The problem with him is that he's bribed because he has, he's the president of, uh, of uh, Russia, and therefore he needs to do what? He needs to think of the interests of Russia. So that is the conflict that he faces constantly but really he's got a real soft spot for Jews you know and he and he understands he lets Jews destroy the Iranians in Syria obviously <coughs> and so on you know uh, so what's interesting is that but he's never really gotten together with Trump because Russia and the United States together what a combo what a powerful combination now the reason basically for that is because of Mueller you know it looks bad because they're accusing him of Russian collusion so what's he going to do? Get together with Putin, you know? But this, uh, in what? What is it? Uh, in uh, five or six days, he's having a summit with Putin. Who knows what's going to come out of that summit? You see, uh, because I, I believe that they really both of them have an affection for each other, because they're both very strong, very strong personalities, and and so on, and they're very defiant and so on. But in any case, uh, things look, you know, in incredibly positive. Uh, that uh, every day that passes by is another positive idea for, for the Jews. 
The only thing that's not positive, of course, is the air of Rav. That's very bad. What's happening in Israel, and I believe that this is really signifies we're very close to the end. It's the last ability of the era of Rav, who are Jews that want to destroy Judaism, the belief in, uh, you know, really destroy it, what's called Shmad, you know, that they have a certain amount of time that they can rule. Like it says in the Gemara, Hashom Sachekasalehem, the hour shines on them. And right now they still have that hour shining on them, you see. But eventually they will uh, uh, spend, they'll be spent where that right will no longer exist and God will get rid of them in an instant like common because what they are doing is terrible in terms of the draft because they do not understand the value of Torah that Torah is what defends the whole Israel that's the real problem that the term Torah is an anachronism it's ancient you want to study the Torah what are you studying the Torah for what's that to do with today's time hey come on get with it modernize you know, this ancient stuff. That's their view of what the Torah is. So we'll tolerate it because it's been around for 3,000 years. You see, but it has no value other than it's an ancient tradition. And therefore it has no value and therefore what really has value is you gotta join the army. And everybody knows that the army is nothing more than a vehicle to destroy the religion of a Jew. It's basically what it is. Even they admit it. Even Ben Gurion admitted it and so on. So that's terrible. The Torah is tremendous danger, sakona, because it's not so much, well, all we want is 9,000 guys to join the army. No, because what it means is that anybody who wants to make Torah his full occupation, once you take that away, then it's only a matter of time, ultimately, till they draft everybody. So I'm sorry, you can learn till 23, and they gotta go to the army. In other words, you've broken the barrier with Torah, person wants to learn Torah, he can learn as long as he wants. But like I said, their problem is they don't see the value of that. And their value is basically to destroy Judaism. Yeah, we'll keep it on as a relic, some ancient relic. We'll do you a favor, you know? So this is the, a tremendous war against the Torah itself. And the same thing with the Kaisal, about having the reformed and conservative pray at the same place as everybody else. It's funny, there's an attack on the Kedush of Klai Yisrael and the Torah of Klai Yisrael, all going on at the same time. And in the end, this is really the battle of the era of Rav. And you show the major obstacle to the expansion of the Mashiach is the era of Rav. That's really what it is. You know, it's the Mashiach on one side of the balance, the scale. And if you want to know who's on the other side, it's the era of Rav. It used to be the Goyim, no longer, because now the Tev Shebeisav, Right? The good Ha'asav is now on the side of Jews, you see. But on the other side of Torah, the greatest wall, obstacle, is the era of Rav. Either those Jews which tragically want to destroy the primacy and the supremacy of Torah itself. And so on. So, and this is going on now. But I believe in a certain amount of time, it will end. It will end because their time that they can subjugate the Jewish people to enormous amount of modernism and mostly secularism will end. Once that's end, then somebody's gonna come in to the Israeli government who's gonna be the intermediary, the transition between him and the Mashiach himself. Because God, when, you, when, the, the, when God changes something, he can't go from A to B right away. There has to be a transition period 
where people get used to the fact that there is no evil, that stops, and then good will ultimately eventually come in. So there has to be somebody in between who's a, trans a transmission, uh, transition individual. I have an idea who it is, which I'm not saying, but anyway, this, is, uh, uh, this certainly is destined to happen. Okay. Do you think uh, from people in Israel that are young will rather go to jail than go into the army? Do you think they'll yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it, it, here's what's going to happen, uh, which is interesting to watch. Uh, they, read, they passed the draft law. Yeah. It was very bad. But it's the first reading. You need three, three readings to pass the draft law. Okay, and the Mo'etzes Gedolei Torah, the Council of Sages, you know, and so on, with Ashkenazim and the Sfardim, have given the order that if they pass the law, then the Charedim, whether it be Sfard Ashkenaz, must leave the government. If that happens, the government will fall, which is interesting, because they don't have enough votes, as far as I know, to sustain the government. Then the coalition ends. Then they will have to do one of two things: either call new elections which is what they'll probably do, you see. And if there's new elections, then that may be the way that the Ransham is going to put in this transition individual and Netanyahu will fall. See, how does he fall, uh, you know? Because you need, obviously, some crisis in which they evict him or he does not get elected again, obviously. Either that or, God forbid, he dies. And so on. I mean, you got God kill him and you get a heart attack tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? It's not a problem for God to take guys out. You know? <clears throat> but whatever it is, on a normal way, he can fall politically. First of all, his wife was indicted. If she gets convicted, it's very bad for him. Because how can you run a government when your wife's convicted? Which means she'll be sitting in jail. Which means that he will be so distracted trying to get his wife out. And also he's going to try to make deals, which invites corruption. Bad news. So then he may be evicted by the party. There are many ways that God can get rid of him. But one thing is clear. Uh, like I say, the government can fall, all this, you know. And this may, in a certain sense, although it doesn't look so, this may be the beginning of the end of Netanyahu. Maybe. We don't know. Look, it looked like Hillary was going to win. And just God stepped in and just busted everybody. Just threw everybody out. And, and Trump won. Against all odds, completely. It's up to God who he wants. And it, it, to, for him to remove, like he says in Hazinu, <clears throat> if God wants Netanyahu out, there is nothing in the creation that can keep him in. Because creation is all part of God. You see, that's the question. The question is not the status quo or the political process or anything like that. The question is, what's the will of God? If he wants him out, there's no rescuer. He's out. The question is, what's the scenario that can get him out? So there are various scenarios you can think about. But one thing I believe is clear, he will be out. Because he is a detriment to Torah in the, in the Jewish nation. You know, he's an antagonist to the whole concept of Torah being, being the major supremacy in the Jewish people. He and all those people in the government you know, if God wants to redeem Israel, the Jews, he must evict all of those people. You see? How he will do it, you can, we can think of scenarios. But that certainly must happen. You see? Because if you don't evict him, 
and everybody else, the government, Jews will never do tshuva and there will be no redemption. Because they sit and they obstruct the whole geula. That I can tell you. Question just how? Anything else? If he gets okay. a wow. What? If he gets a victim, there's a high chance that let's go. No, no, see, again, you're thinking like a regular person. Again, if it is the will of God that he's out, then I guarantee it's the will of God that the left doesn't get in, right? It's the same will. You, you see, you're thinking on one side, well, the, the one who got him out was God, but guess what? The electoral process is what the le guy left in. You know, God's will operates on all fronts, takes care of everything that has to be taken care of, whatever that means. Yeah, think that way. Don't think like a person, like a politician. Think like a Jew that believes that God runs the world. See what I'm saying? But you think this anyway. issue is a crisis point with something got to give? The what? About the, the draft. Yeah, it is, a is it is a crisis. And that itself, which is interesting for Nahapoichu, that the fact that these people are threatening the whole, uh, the whole um, necessity of Torah learning, that itself may be the very reason why they're all evicted. It's called poetic justice. That they themselves initiated the process where they are thrown out. Wow. It, it, we don't have any free will for this. Look, when Hillary did the emails and she erased, right, 33,000 emails, and when she used a private server, why would anybody do that? How stupid can you get? You know, it's, it, it's, it's against the Espionage Act. You can't use your private server you know, and have emails, you know, where countries are actually coming in and looking at your emails. It's incredible. How do you make such a mistake? You know, it, it's almost idiocy. She's not, she's a bright woman. You know why she did it? She had no choice, because that's how God took her out. In other words, what God does is he knows what he's going to do in the future. So what he does is he plans it. It's like, remember the other God is the greatest chess player? He moved the pawn. That pawn where she made the terrible mistake right of having a server a private server and you know and then destroying all the emails and then having the emails in the first place on a private server he made her do it she had no bakhira because what person with any kind of brains would do this you understand what i'm saying <clears throat> she did things which are so obviously condemning why would she do that because that's what god did to make sure that he could boot her out you know he took away her free will. That's really what it's all about. Do you see, see any chinks in the armor of the Israeli Supreme Court? <laughs> Those guys. I mean, talk about the era of Rav. I mean, these guys lead the era of Rav. They, the media, in many ways, they, you know, the, 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 the Knesset, the cabinet, the Knesset, they're all era of Rav. They just, it's terrible what they're doing to the ability of the Jewish people to do tshuva. You know, and certainly the Supreme Court is like, it's like a triumvirate, you know. The Knesset, Supreme Court, and the media, you know, those are the three that are just absolutely terrible, you know. And when the day comes, I can guarantee you this, when the day comes where the hour does not shine on them, like Haman, right, in the very time he requested to come in, right, remember he went to, to Achashverosh? You know, I want you to hang Mordechai in that very meeting, he was told that Mordechai has to be on the horse. You know, if he hadn't come, you know, maybe, maybe Achashosh wouldn't have said anything. Uh, you know, uh, 
that you don't have to lead, you see? So he actually instigated the very thing that overthrew him. Talk about poetic justice, you know? This may be happening now. Okay, Thank you for attending.